What a wonderful reminder of one more opportunity uh, to give to see the gospel get to where it is not. So in your bulletin, uh, you have this prayer guide for the International Mission Board. And so we encourage you to take that and you can pray every single day uh, for the next few days, for the next week, and uh, pray for a specific aspect of missions overseas. And then there's an envelope in there as well for you, for uh, you to pray about and think about giving uh, to the Lottie Moon offering. And what this does, if you're not familiar with who Lottie Moon is or our denomination, it's simply a, uh, an offering where the money goes right to the field. It gets right to uh, these places where the missionaries are for projects. And so we already, as a church, give 2% of our undesignated funds to Lottie Moon. So when you give your tithes and your offerings, we believe in this so much that we automatically give a percentage of every dollar that's given uh, to get to the field. And so we just uh, joyfully uh, encourage you to come and continue to participate to get the gospel uh, overseas, and so you have that information there in front of you. And for for Josh and for Laura, it is so good to have you guys here. An amazing story, this couple. And maybe there's a day when we can highlight that story. But as you sing that song, "Redeemed," Josh, I'm just praising the Lord for you, brother, and for your marriage. Congratulations, and Dwight and Charlene, congratulations to you as well. Great to have this couple. Here and for those of you in the modern service, we are glad that you're joining us together. I know you've been worshiping there. And so we join together for the preaching of the word and we are entering into a Christmas series, believe it or not, here we go. And uh, if I had a title for this series, it would be really pointing to what's gonna happen next week here at Taylor's and that is uh, the title, God is Here. Next week we have an incredible opportunity to, to worship but you also have an opportunity to invite people to come and be a part of our Christmas experience, our worship time together, both Friday evening at 7.30, 10.30, Sunday morning, a special time Sunday morning. And, and here's what I want you to consider doing, and that is inviting someone to come. Make, take someone out to dinner on Friday. Take someone out to lunch on Sunday. Find someone that you can bring with you to an experience where you're going you're to usher in the Christmas season. It's going to be wonderful. But ultimately, you know our hearts, ultimately, it's just not entering into the Christmas season. It's entering into the presence of God to, to understand and realize why Christmas is a celebration. And that is because Jesus is here. God is here. And I want to use that, that, uh, that point that we're headed next week really as as a theme for our series over the course of the next few Sundays together, God is here. If there was a summary of Christmas, I think it could be found in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. It's, it's on the screen here, but, but the, the gospel writer Matthew has just got done laying out the genealogy of Jesus, the family tree of Jesus. It comes from Abraham and it comes through David. He is the one who has been promised all the way for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Here's his family tree. And then he goes right to the story that we're very familiar with, with Joseph and Mary. Joseph is engaged to be married. She's suddenly showing she's pregnant. Okay, what do I do now? I have every right to divorce her. How am I going to do that? What's all this going to look like? An angel comes and says, Joseph, do not fear. Don't be afraid. Take Mary. Uh, what is inside of her, this baby that's inside of her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. 
the supernatural birth of Christmas, and his name will be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, Joseph, you need to believe this, and here it is, Matthew chapter 1, because all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And here's what the prophet Isaiah says, that a virgin will conceive. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. God is here. Now, this was a promise that was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. As Mary gives birth to Jesus, they can say, God is here. The promise is fulfilled. God is here. But here's what's so fascinating about this promise that was fulfilled in Jesus, and that's where we're headed. That's why we like the Advent candle. We're expecting the coming of the birth of Jesus. But when that promise was made that we just read, Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, that promise was made not in a vacuum. It was given to the prophet Isaiah over 700 years earlier. And the promise was, was given to Isaiah to make to a king, to a people who were in big, big trouble. They needed deliverance. They needed salvation. You see, that prophecy of Matthew chapter 1 is found in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Same words. And it's made to this king that we're going to look at today and over the course of the next few weeks. We're going to look at this passage, Isaiah 7, 8, and 9, where this king is the center of this promise that comes to him. And it's the same promise that was made to Joseph. King Ahaz... There is going to be a son who is going to be born of a virgin, of a young woman, and you are going to call his name, or he is going to be called Emmanuel. God is with you, king. Just as God is with you, Joseph and Mary, God is with you, king, 700 years earlier. And Isaiah is not making some random pronouncement for the future. He is speaking directly to a king. He is speaking directly to a people. And here is his message for them. God is here. God is with you. And this deliverance of, of God being with the people of God 700 years prior to Jesus, this incredible salvation that God offers to his people only points us to the deliverance that Jesus will give to his people. The prophecy worked then and it worked in Jesus' day, but here's the beautiful thing about God's word is that same prophecy works for us today, that God is with you. God is here. And so what we want to do is take this incredible promise and we want to Make it relevant to us today because it is. The Word of God is incredibly rich and it's incredibly relevant because we need to hear this very same message that was made to Joseph and Mary, that was given to a king and is given to you, that God is here. He is with you. Let's try and unpack this a little bit. Isaiah chapter 7, and we're only going to get to a few verses this morning, but I think we need to lay the groundwork so as we plow ahead and move towards Christmas, we can begin to understand and walk with this king and walk with this prophet. 
Isaiah chapter 7. If you're new to Bible study, Isaiah's in the Old Testament. It's about halfway through your scriptures. That's where it is in, in my Bible right there, Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah was this prophet who they believe was uh, part of the, the royal line. They, they believe he was part of the royal family. And so he would prophesy or he would preach to the royal family itself. And so his favorite king, Uzziah, dies and more kings come along to the nation of Judah. And God calls on this prophet. He is married. He has children. He's like perhaps you and me. But he is called to be a prophet to the kings to speak a word of the Lord. And so here's the setting for where this prophet is going to prophesy. Chapter 7. Read with me verses 1 and 2. We'll unpack it. Give you a couple of thoughts of application and then... We'll be done with our worship time this morning. Verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah. That was Isaiah's favorite king. King of Judah. Judah's in the south. It's its own people. The people of God. Jerusalem is its capital. Rezin, the king of Syria, which is up to the north. And Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, also to the north. These two kings come up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. So these two kings, Syria and Israel, are waging war against Judah and are trying to topple over Jerusalem and topple over the king. Verse 2. So when the house of David was told, so when the king, King Ahaz, was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim. Syria and Israel are in this league together, in this alliance together. Look at this next phrase. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Now let's stop right there. Has, has your heart ever shaken like that before? Here, here's a question as we try and open up our hearts to the word of God this morning. When is it? And, and maybe you, it's in the past or, or maybe it's something that you fear in the future. When is it or something that you fear will come to pass that your heart just has kind of shaken with fear? There, there, are so many, there are so many ways that we become fearful in our hearts. I mean, there are three hours here, two, 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 uh, two hours and three worship styles here, and across this incredible spectrum of, of people here at Taylor's, and if you're a guest here, we're so glad that you're here, but across this incredible spectrum of people here at Taylor's, there's any number of ways that your heart might shake and your heart might fear and you might be discouraged this morning. We're entering into a season where family is supposed to bring us great joy. So thankful for our families, but for, for some of you, the Christmas season, the Thanksgiving season, and your family is nothing but heartbreak and hurt, and so you walk into the Christmas season fearful and anxious and worried. I, I don't know, how, how is your heart shaped? Maybe it's something that has happened in, in your family with your, with your children or with your grandchildren or with your, with your parents. There's a division there. There's, a, there's hurt there. Maybe it's something with your finances. I don't know. 2015 perhaps has been a year where when it comes to your job, your career, your finances, your heart is just shaking with fear. Maybe it's decisions that you know you have to, 
have to make and there's discouragement there because you're fearful of, of how those decisions are gonna turn out. Health concerns, sickness, cancer, death. You're fearful of um, your past and, and if things were to come up, there's, there's just an amazing amount of guilt and shame that, that, that might come out from the past. Notice what it says too. It says the king, his heart shook as did the hearts of his people. It's just not you, it's your family. It's the impact on your wife, it's the impact on your children. I, I don't know what it is. I, what I'm trying to do is just simply open up your heart to the word of God this morning and we all either have been there or we will be there. There's something that when someone steps into our home or calls us on the phone or we get an email, it just reverberates inside our chest and our hearts just shake, our hearts just melt and we dive down into fear or depression or despair or encouragement. And we all, as human beings, have a decision to make. Who are we going to trust? I like what the ESV Study Bible says about this particular section of Isaiah here. Let me read, read it for you. Here's the question that was forced upon the king. The question forced upon Judah was this threat, and it was one of trust. In what will God's people trust for salvation? Now, I'm just not talking about the salvation that comes when you pray to receive Christ, when you become a follower of Christ, yes, that's important. I pray some of you, if you haven't done that, that this is the day where you begin to understand the great gospel of Jesus, which is his forgiveness of sins for you, his resurrection and his new life that, that he has given for you. I pray you will understand that, but it's just not salvation when you become a follower of Christ is salvation that when the news comes our hearts shake where are you going to trust because it's going to come or it might have come already are you going to trust here's what it says in human strategies of self-rescue or in the promises of divine grace I love that when you begin to fear where do you go to your own strategy of self-rescue or to the promises of divine grace. Now, here's where this king, he faces a decision. What do I do? He's, he's frightened by this, and already in his mind, he's thinking. And over the course of the next few weeks, we'll, we'll, we'll begin to unpack this even further. But he's, he's beginning to think that as a world leader, I have a decision to make. I think I can deliver myself and I can deliver my people by making an alliance with, with some of the other nations. It reminds me of world events today. If you read the newspaper today, what's going on in Syria? How you have this dictator in Syria who's just ravaging his people and he's killed, he's slaughtered hundreds upon thousands of his own people. And because of now, not only his reign, but the threat of ISIS that is, is moving in from different parts of the Middle East and kind of centering there in Iraq and in Syria, this dictator, because of, of the conflict in his own country, and now ISIS looks to whom? He looks to the prime minister of Russia to come and to, and to deliver him. Meanwhile, over in Paris, when those attacks come, I turn on the news and here's the, the prime minister of, of 
of France sitting down with the prime minister of Russia trying to figure out a way to how to eradicate this this group called ISIS that is making a way. You have all these alliances and all these pacts because these kings are desperate to deliver themselves and they're going to do anything they can to rescue themselves. Same thing here in Isaiah chapter 7. This king, it's the Syrian power is moving in and he kind of sees this huge power moving in. But right to the north of him, Syria and Israel, two nations, have joined forces together to fight the Assyrians. Meanwhile, these two nations, Syria and Israel, bigger than Judah, now want to come down and now want to take over Judah. And they want to form this alliance, and the king doesn't want to do that. So he is looking at Assyria, he's looking at Syria, he's looking at Israel. They come down, they mount this attack, they're they're unsuccessful, but now he hears word that they've made this alliance, and he is shaking with fear. What do I do? His people are shaking with fear. What do I do? And out of this context comes this incredible promise from Isaiah. King, here's a sign for you. There's going to be a son born to a virgin. And the name of this son is going to be called Emmanuel. King, King, God is with you. God is with you in this. Now, here's what's so amazing about this, all right? Thought number one this morning. Here's what's so amazing about this. Let me get it out, and then I want to show you something that I found this week that totally surprised me, all right? Thought number one, God is here. God was there with Joseph and Mary. God is here with with the king, but God is here because of his mercy despite our sinfulness. God is here because, because of his mercy, despite our sinfulness. Now you're saying, all right, pastor, where do you get that? I don't see that in here, all right? You have to look a little bit. Second Kings chapter 16. I want to read you a description of King Ahaz, all right? Remember how, how gracious God is? King, I'm here. King, there's going to be a son that's going to be born. It's going to signify my presence with you and deliverance of your people. You don't have to worry about Syria. You don't have to worry about Israel. You don't have to worry about Assyria, king. I'm with you, all right? But I want you to understand, God comes to him based on God's Mercy, despite the king's sinfulness. God comes to you this morning, despite your sinfulness and because of his mercy. Listen to a description of this king. Second Kings chapter 16, and I think you'll begin to understand. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign, and he was 20 years old. He's very young. He began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. Now, look at this. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done, but he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. That's not good. You want a little bit more? Here's a description. He even burned his son as an offering. You might think that is horrible. It is horrible. They believe that because of the pressure, one commentator said because of the pressure that he was under, he would yield to the God of Molech, and the God of Molech required a sacrifice of your children, and because of the pressure and because of the stress, he offered up his son. 
as a sacrifice. Horrible. Horrible. Keep reading. Or listen, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel, Ahaz sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. There's your Wikipedia paragraph about King Ahaz. And it's not a good one. And I share that with you because when I read that, I thought, wait a second. God comes to this king to rescue the people of Judah. He comes to this king who is supposed to be maintaining the, the presence of God in the temple of God in the city of God, Jerusalem. He, he is from the line of David. And God comes to this king, and I'm thinking, God is a gracious God, and God is a good God, and God wants to protect his people. But then when I read that, I thought, you know what? God comes to him based on God's mercy despite our sinfulness. This is the gospel. It was the gospel when Jesus came to Joseph and Mary. Remember the angel said, Jesus will save his people from their sins. God comes to Ahaz to save his people in the middle of their sins. We, we just celebrated Thanksgiving. And I was reading about the, the, the proclamation that Abraham Lincoln made when he designated the last Thursday in November as the day we would celebrate Thanksgiving. And the date was 1863, and so for you history folks, that's the middle of the Civil War. And I'm thinking, now wait a second. He is offering Thanksgiving in the middle of the worst war this country has ever faced, in the middle of the Civil War. So I read the proclamation, and I thought, Okay, I, I see where he's going with this. And, he, and he's thanking, he, he says that the, 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 the American people should, should give thanks for all the things that have happened in the past year. Should give thanks for their agricultural production and how they, they are finding these natural resources and how that settlements are, are expanding in the country and how that, um, how that there haven't been wars from foreign countries. When the, when the nation was, was fighting amongst itself, it was vulnerable, but, but yet no foreign power had, had come in, and how that the population was growing across the country. And he says America should be thankful for all of these things, but there's one little line in there that caught my attention. In the middle of his gratefulness, in the middle of his pursuing God or thanking God or trying to lead the people to understand the presence of God, he says this, listen, he says, these are the gracious gifts of the most high God who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, what Lincoln is saying here, this is his interpretation, that God is, is, is disciplining the nation because of the sin of slavery. That's his interpretation. While dealing with us in anger for our sins, like, I love this, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. And here's the word to you this morning and to me, all right? When our hearts are fearful and they shake, and when we feel vulnerable and alone, remember that God perhaps could be coming to you gently, graciously, 
in great mercy to deal with your sin. And here's your response. Submission. Repentance. Yes, Lord. And this should have been the king's response. As we'll see, it's not. As we'll see, he gets stubborn. But God still offers him a sign. God still offers him great mercy. How will you respond this morning? Maybe the shaking in your heart is meant for God to look inside and to open it up so that you can see and that you can return to him. Second thing this morning. God is here, not only by his mercy, despite our sinfulness, but secondly, God is here through his revelation that is much wiser than our rationalization. It's a mouthful, but here it is again. God is here through his revelation, what he reveals, that is much wiser than what we can rationalize, what we can process, what we can think. You can see the wheels turning here. Isaiah, if you read Second Kings that I just read out of, you can read the rest of the story, how he is longing to make an alliance, not with Syria and Israel, but with Assyria. He's going to pay him a bribe. The wheels are turning in his mind, and he's thinking, this is reasonable. This is what kings do. This is what leaders of the nations do to preserve their people. This is the next step. This is, this is how it works. And Isaiah comes with this incredible promise to say, God is here, and he is his, what he reveals is much wiser than anything that you can reason and that you can process. Now, this is hard for us. When the word comes to our hearts, what do we do? We begin to process and think. We begin to, we begin to come up with strategies internally. We begin to, to look inside and we begin to, to plot and we begin to plan, how do I get out of this? How do I conquer this? How will, how will, what will I say here if they say and do this? Like a chess match inside. We're, we're just trying to, to put it all together. And when Isaiah comes to the king, he says, King, I know what you're going to do, but God is much wiser. And it's going to be hard for you to trust, but God is much wiser than your reasoning processes. We look internally. We look externally. We look horizontally. We're right here. We're looking behind us. We're looking in front of us. We're looking to other people. We're getting counsel and wisdom. And that's not a bad thing in and of itself. But if we are trusting in our own reason... The revelation of God is much wiser. How do we respond then? I thought of this as I was taking a walk through our neighborhood the other day, just thinking through the, the text. How do we respond to the fact that God's revelation of himself that he is here is much wiser than my reasoning process? And here's what I came up with. Our response is simply to do this, to diligently place his word and his spirit above what I see, what I think, and what I feel. Did you get that? It's a battle. It's a constant battle to constantly put what God reveals about himself and what God reveals through his spirit above what I see and what I think and what I feel, because what I see and what I think and what I feel, like the king, causes me to fear and causes me to trust in my own strategy of getting out of whatever it is I'm in. To deliver myself, but if I place what God says above what I think and what I feel and what I see, 
then comes great strength. Here's what I want to do this morning as we close. I want to read verses 3 through 9. And I want you to understand what the revelation of God says to this king because it's encouraging. Next week, we have our worship experience here, but then the following, we're going to keep going through and see how the king responds to this incredible word. But I, I want to leave you with encouragement this morning, okay? Listen, read with me verses 3 through 9, and then we're going to close up our time this morning. And the Lord said to Isaiah, okay, here's the revelation that is much wiser. Go out to me, Ahaz. You and Sheer Jashub, not exactly on the top ten list of sons' names in the past couple of years, I don't think. You and Sheer Jashub, your son. Go find the king. He's at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. They believe, one writer said, they believe that he is looking at the water supply because he knows the siege is coming, so he's trying to map it out. He's trying to plan it out. Go find the king. He's trying to map out what is going to happen next and say to him, I love this, be careful, be quiet, do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, Syria and Israel. Do not let your heart be faint because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Do not let your heart be faint because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it and conquer it. That's what you see. That's what you're hearing. That's what you're feeling. Don't let your heart, don't let your heart go there. Put the revelation of God, the word of God, what I say above that. Don't, don't get bogged down in that. Don't listen to what they say about Judah, how that they're going to, verse 6, set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. For thus says the Lord, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is resin. And within 65 years, Ephraim or Israel will be broken to pieces so that it will no longer be a people. And the head of Ephraim is Syria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. Here it is. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. One translation says, if you do not believe, you will not last. So the promise to you and to me this morning is the same promise that comes to this king. God is here, and in his mercy, he wants you to respond to him. The same promise to the king. God is here, and he wants you to trust his revelation, his wisdom, more than you trust your own thinking and seeing and feeling regardless of what's going around. And I think a summary of, of this entire morning can be found in just one beautiful verse from Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. Here it is. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning or in repentance and rest, you shall be saved and in quietness and in trust 
shall be your strength. This morning, church, family of faith, both rooms, guests who are here, and what will you trust this morning? Will you trust yourself? Perhaps you are operating in sin, and the word this morning to you is to return, to repent, because God has come in his mercy. For others of us, we might need to repent, but for some of us, we just might need to rest. Rest in the wisdom of God, in the character of God, in the purposes of God, not in our own reasoning. How will you respond this morning? Let's pray about that right now. Father, in a busy, busy few days, we have had much to be grateful for, many of us. We've enjoyed our families and we've enjoyed great food. It's been, in, been a time of, of resting, getting away from the office, getting away from work, getting away from the regular routine. But this morning, you call us to worship your son. And we have done that. We have sung and we have opened up our hearts in worship. But you have called us also to receive from you your word about our sin and about our trust. So, Father, before we, we jet out to eat and to finish off this weekend and prepare for tomorrow and we head back to school and we go, we, we go again and we crank it back up for several weeks here. We pause this morning to hear from you. As that prophet so faithfully reminded us that in repentance and rest, we find our salvation. For the people of God this morning, you are here. May they respond to you. Father, we need you. Father, we need your, your presence. And as we walk through the next few weeks, continue to reveal and show. Show our hearts, show our thinking, but reveal yourself. You are here. We worship you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.